Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When the news first came down on the afternoon of Thursday, July 20th, 2017, maybe your reaction was the same as mine. Oh, another celebrity death hoax. It's got to be a hoax because this this just doesn't make sense. But as the minutes ticked by, it was soon obvious that it wasn't a hoax, but it still didn't make any sense. By the end of the day, everything was confirmed. Chester Bennington, vocalist with Linkin Park, was not only dead, but dead by his own hand. What? This guy was the frontman for a band that sold somewhere around 100 million records. He was drafted in to sing for Stone Temple Pilots for a couple of years. He was having fun with a couple of side projects. He was dabbling in acting. He had a loving family with six, six kids. What happened? And even though the news came during a long string of musician deaths, this was one of the most shocking, totally unexpected. Let's see if we can sort out what we can. And as we do that, we'll remember Chester Bennington. This is part one. This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Linkin Park from their second album, Meteora. That's from the spring of 2003. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. When you grow up with a band, after a while, you feel like you know them. You don't really, of course, but there's a bond that forms because their music helps you know yourself. And this is why Chester Bennington's death hit so many people so hard. And while we'll never know what Chester was thinking on the morning of July 20th, 2017, it's just human nature to try to understand as much as we can about what seems to be an unreasonable death. So... Let's start at the beginning. Chester was born on March 20th, 1976 in Phoenix. Mom was a nurse who often saw some pretty rough things. But then there was his dad. He was a police detective whose main beat came to be cases of child sex abuse. Imagine what kind of an effect a job like that has in your psyche. Mom and dad divorced when Chester was 11. Dad got custody. The whole thing, the divorce, messed him up pretty bad and he got deep into drugs. As a teenager, he tried everything, pot, coke, various opioids, LSD, meth, basically the whole buffet. High school was hell, where he was bullied and beaten up. But that paled in comparison to the sexual abuse that was subjected upon him by an older male friend. That started when he was seven and continued until he was 13. He didn't tell anyone because he was ashamed and afraid that no one would believe him. So no wonder he got into drugs. But Dad, the cop, couldn't handle all the drug abuse, so Chester went to live with his mom when he was 17. And because of the whole drug thing, he was basically permanently grounded, except for his shifts at Burger King. Fortunately, music became a bigger and better escape. He loved Depeche Mode. He adored Stone Temple Pilots. And when he was about 17, he started singing in a band called Sean Dodal and His Friends. They released a three-song cassette in 1993, and... Uh, you know, frankly, it sounds pretty good. This is called God's Afraid. I 
17-year-old Chester Bennington with his first band, Sean Dowdle and His Friends. That's from a cassette released in 1993. When they broke up, Chester and Sean formed a new band called Grey Days. They ended up releasing three albums between 1993 and 1998. And here's a sample of what they sounded like. This is In Time. Chester Bennington, when he was in a band called Grey Days, which existed in Phoenix through the middle 1990s. He stayed with them until about 1998, but by then he was completely frustrated with his lack of progress in the music biz, so he quit the band and basically resigned himself to a job as an assistant with a digital services company. After all, he was now a married guy, although he and his wife were barely 20. But here's where we run into one of those weird situations that pop up so many times in the stories of famous bands. Out in L.A., there was a really promising band called Zero, but they were lacking a frontman. A VP of A&R at Zomba Music had heard about Chester. He called him up and asked him if he'd be interested in auditioning for this band called Zero. Would he come to California to give it a try? Well, hell yeah. Now, let's talk about Zero for a second. This was a group founded by three high school friends, Mike Shinoda, Brad Delson, and Rob Borden. Together with a couple of other guys, they started playing gigs and recording. There's at least one cassette tape in the wild. Some okay stuff, but it wasn't finding any love at the record company level. Now, if we are going to do this properly, we should hear something from the band that would eventually morph into Linkin Park. They released a four-track cassette in 1997. It came in two versions, same songs but different covers. Both are highly coveted by Linkin Park collectors because they are extraordinarily rare. Everything was recorded in the bedroom of singer Mark Wakefield using a rudimentary computer setup. Everyone in the band was into different things. Alice in Chains, The Roots, The Prodigy. You mix it all together and it all came out like this. The track is called Rhinestone. That Zero featuring a singer named Mark Wakefield. They'd eventually become Linkin Park, but hang on, we're getting ahead of things. All right, back to Chester. He was sent a couple of Zero tapes. One featured full songs with Zero vocalist Mark Wakefield, and the other just instrumentals. It was that second tape that was more interesting. Chester was asked to provide some vocal interpretations for the music, record them over the instrumentals, and then send the tape back. When Chester showed up with the tape, Chester nailed it. There was no question he was the guy. The band changed their name to Hybrid Theory, and they recorded a self-titled EP. Let's take a listen to what that sounded like. That's Linkin Park, before they got a record label, and while they were still known as Hybrid Theory. They worked really hard to get the word out. They must have been one of the first bands to properly use the internet to publicize themselves. Hybrid Theory had an online street team. 
a whole bunch of volunteers who got on all kinds of chat rooms and music forums to push the record. This was fantastic, except that it didn't work. In fact, nothing worked. Hybrid theory was turned down by record labels at least 42 times. That's not an exaggeration. 42 times. Even a name change to Lincoln Park didn't help. Oh, and, and the reason they deliberately misspelled Lincoln? So they could get the domain LincolnPark.com. That was 1999. Few bands were thinking like this. But again, they, they really didn't have much choice because it turns out that there was already a band in Wales called Hybrid Theory. So they had to change their name to avoid any messy legal situations. Turns out that that band was signed to Warner Brothers, which, as you'll see in a bit, would have been an even bigger problem. The group went through a bunch of possibilities. Clear, as in transparent. Probing loggers. No. Platinum Lotus Foundation. Uh-uh. But it was Chester who came up with the name that stuck. He was driving past a real Lincoln Park in Santa Monica. The band also reasoned that there were parks and neighborhoods all across the U.S. named after Abraham Lincoln. So a name like Lincoln Park would have immediate national appeal. Now, another serendipitous situation. Remember the A&R guy at Zomba who recommended Chester to Zero? He was now a VP at Warner Brothers Records. And even though Warner had turned down Hybrid Theory slash Linkin Park three times in the past, with this guy in charge, a guy named Jeff, they got a meeting. And they were signed in late 1999. And within 18 months, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Hang on. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. We're looking at the life and death of Chester Bennington, and we've reached the point where he's in Lincoln Park and the band finally has a record deal. Now, remember, nobody, and I mean nobody, wanted to sign this band for years. On the plus side, though, they'd been working hard on their music for years, too, so they were ready. The first version of this debut album, called Hybrid Theory as a way of A, remembering their roots, and B, sticking it to that Welsh band who was also on Warner Brothers, was the nine-song demo that had been sent around to the record labels at least 42 times. Now, you're probably curious about what that demo sounded like, right? The one that was so awful it was turned down 42 times? Let's give it a taste. When this demo was being circulated... This track didn't have a name yet. It was still called Untitled. But it wouldn't stay that way for long. In the end, the demo version before it even had a title, by Hybrid Theory, just before they changed their name to Linkin Park. Finally, after all the rejections, Linkin Park had a deal with Warner Brothers. And being nice boys, they asked for a meeting with the key people at the label. This was both smart and risky. Smart because some people at the label just wanted Linkin Park to be a rock band and to cut out the rapping. Or if that wasn't an option, well, then Mike should learn to rap like Fred Durst. Yeah, th th that's successful. We'll do it like that, okay, Mike? Or they could just bring in a reggae vocalist named Matt Lyons to do the rapping for Mike. Uh, no, none of that was going to happen. 
Someone suggested that Linkin Park needed a gimmick. Why not have Joe Hahn, the band's DJ, wear a cowboy hat and a lab coat and refer to him as the doctor? No, no, that that, that wasn't going to happen either. I think we should look at your logo. It's, um, I don't know, too Asian, somebody said. No, it, it, it stays. And the meeting was risky because new bands just don't show up in the boardrooms of major record labels and start dictating terms for how they were to be marketed and how their fan club should be treated. Warner did not know what to do with Linkin Park, and some, including, apparently, the president of the label, just hated their sound. There was even some debate whether they released the record at all because, well, it was awful, all this screaming and rapping. It's all forgotten now, but it's worth looking back after 100 million records have been sold just to see how wrong so many people, people that were supposed to know about these things, were. Here's a finished single from the Hybrid Theory album, and it's worth listening to the lyrics because Chester drew on his experiences with drugs and alcohol to write them. There's not much in the way of Mike Shinoda's rapping. The label wanted to test things by leaving him out. Should Linkin Park have a rapper or not? Well, we know how that turned out. But again, it's interesting to note how the band could have been forced to go in another direction right from the start. The music? It was inspired by a collective love for Depeche Mode. This is called Crawling. Crawling, the second single from Linkin Park's debut album, Hybrid Theory. That record was released on October the 20th of 2000. It gave up four singles, One Step Closer, Crawling, Paper Cut, and In the End. In the End became a genuine top 40 hit, reaching all the way to number one on the singles charts in the U.S. and all the way to number two in Canada. And although the album reached number one in just one country, that would be New Zealand, by the way, it hit number two in the U.S., Germany, and Australia. It went top ten in Canada, Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Hungary, Norway, Scotland, Sweden, and Switzerland. It sold five million copies in its first year, and it has since sold at least 30 million copies worldwide. The album was nominated for three Grammys, winning one for crawling in the category of Best Hard Rock Performance. All of this was on the strength of the band's music, the band's demand that Mike be able to rap the way he does, and the rejection of stupid suggestions from image stylists about cowboy hats, lab coats, and logos that were too Asian. Let's talk about one more single, One Step Closer. It was written when the band felt pressure from producer Don Gilmore. He was driving them nuts with the way he was pushing them in the studio. This explains Chester's lyrics. I cannot take this anymore. I'm saying everything I've ever done before. All these words make no sense. Then we have the chorus. Everything you say takes me one step closer to the edge, and I'm going to break. Chester is actually talking to producer Don Gilmore with these words about how he so blithely dismissed Chester whenever he submitted lyrics for his inspection. And the shut up part? <laughs> Definitely 100% directed at Gilmore.
One Step Closer, which is basically Chester Bennington screaming at hybrid theory producer Don Gilmore because Chester was tired of being pushed around in the studio. The band was a little sheepish about the final result and didn't want it included on the record, but then they were overruled. It was released as a single. Then it became a hit. And then, well, Lincoln Park was off and running. More of Chester's story coming up. Now, back to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. This is part one of a look back on the life of Chester Bennington. Lincoln Park worked very hard after the release of that first album. In the first year after Hybrid Theory came out, they played 320 shows. Again, let me say that. In one year, they played 320 shows. They created their own tour called Project Revolution, which featured Snoop Dogg and Cypress Hill. They created a high-level fan club slash street team called Lincoln Park Underground that strove to serve the fans online, something that few bands were doing at the time. Now, if you're a fan who has everything, you'll know that there was a special two-disc version of Hybrid Theory sold in Japan. The first disc was the album itself. The second featured a bunch of unreleased live tracks and a couple of studio recordings. This is from that second disc. It's a version of Paper Cut, recorded at the Docklands Arena in London for the BBC. Lincoln Park, from the bonus disc that came with the Japanese version of the Hybrid Theory album. They even found time to create a remix album called Reanimation. The standard version has 20 tracks and was co-produced by Mike Shinoda. Doing a remix album was, well, it was odd for a band as new as Lincoln Park, but because their debut was selling so well, Warner said, yeah, okay, go ahead, just don't do anything stupid. Two million records later, Lincoln Park was proclaimed right again. Reanimation is officially the third best-selling remix album of all time. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. With your name to shame, you rock your face. You, you can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. Won't last, won't last, won't last, won't last. That's the reinterpreted mix of Points of Authority from Linkin Park's Reanimation album from 2002. The new voice in the track is from Jay Gordon, the singer for a San Francisco band called Orgy. Uh, oh, look at the time. We've spent an hour on the story of Chester and Lincoln Park, and we're only up to the end of the first album. We'll have to carry this over to another show. A look ahead at that is coming up. More of the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Lincoln Park is a very 21st century band in the sense that their story is so very well documented by themselves, their management company, their label, and their fans. This is good, because if we're going to try to understand how Chester Bennington came to die, we have to get as granular as possible. On part two of the story of Chester, we'll look at how his first marriage fell apart and how he went through some dark times in the years following. Meanwhile, though, Lincoln Park kept on its upward swing. So how did things eventually go so wrong? I'm not sure if there are any answers, but again, we'll do our best to find out. 
If you're looking for podcast editions of this program, they're available through iTunes or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Episodes are posted the Wednesday after the weekend on which they first air, and they're all free, of course, so I hope you can subscribe. If you need something on a daily basis, I have my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's updated every single day with many, many music and music and tech stories. It also comes with a daily newsletter that's also free. You get it, and you'll have a list of stories in your inbox by 10 a.m. Eastern every day of the week. And if you need more, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. And there's always old-fashioned email, alan and alancross.ca. Part two of the Chester Bennington story next time with the ongoing history of new music. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play. 